The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. silver and gold. Well, what do you think of our friend Cornelius? Seems all he thinks about is silver and gold. Silver and gold, silver and gold, everyone wishes for silver and gold. How do you measure its worth? Just by the pleasure it gives here on earth. Silver and gold, silver and gold Means so much more when I see Silver and gold decorations On every Christmas tree Yes, of course I got the boots. No, 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 no. The necklace that she wanted did... Sorry about all that noise. The necklace that she wanted did not go with the sweater that you pick for pictures, but I got a different one. It's even better. Yeah, see you soon. Okay, but... Well, I just went ahead and paid extra for the gift wrapping because there's still so much to do and... Um, Time is money, right? We just, we've got to finish our list. No, it's, I know it's more than we have, but we'll just put it on the visa. Plus, this comes with uh, Blu-ray and surround sound and free delivery, and, which is good because we don't have a vehicle that'll even fit it, so. Well, we're talking about the colors of Christmas, and this morning we come to silver and gold. And, uh, you know, when we are honest and we think about our earthly possessions, they can really be characterized by silver and gold. And some of you are thinking, oh, this is the obligatory Christmas sermon on materialism. And I hope that you'll listen a little bit deeper than that. It's something more than that. And some of you are good with that sermon because you're sitting there thinking, I don't have any silver and gold. And the reason that you don't is that you have used it all to buy stuff. And this morning I want to make the case that you've got a lot of stuff. Uh, Today we've got kids in the room with us. A lot of times they're in Sunday school and children's church, and they're in the room with us. So this morning, kids, you're going to participate in the sermon. I'm going to ask you questions about your parents or your grandparents, and you raise your hands if it's true, okay? Here's the first one. Is it possible that your mom has so many clothes in the closet in her bedroom that your dad has to keep his clothes in another room? How many of you that's true of your... Yeah... 
uh, kids, keep going. Let's keep going. I got more questions for you. Uh, Is there so much stuff in the garage that one or two of the cars cannot be parked in the garage? Can I see your hands? Yeah, this, we should have the kids in here every week. This is already better participation than I usually get. Okay, I've got some more questions for you. Um, did your parents, because they had so much stuff in the garage, move to another house that had two or three garages? Kids, did that happen to any of your parents? Yeah. And then after that, did they, did they go and rent a storage unit or locker? Could I see your hands, kids? Have they done that? They don't take you with them very often. Probably. Oh, there's a whole section over there. They're like looking at their parents like, oh, man, this sermon's about you. <laughs> now, kids, you may not know this, but you might. Um, is there so, if the, if, the, if the fire inspector came to your house and he went in the furnace room, would he find paint and flammable stuff right there next to your gas furnace, kids? Do you know? You know that? Yeah, because there's stuff. How, uh, how many of you kids, your parents, there's, a, there's like a closet underneath the staircase. Is that full of stuff? Could I, kids, is that full of stuff? All right. Parents, would you like to get the kids back? Okay, parents, how many of your kids have so many toys or so much stuff that it doesn't go in their closet, doesn't go under the bed, and it's out in some other part of the house. Parents? Oh, gotcha, kids. All right, so, so see, what silver and gold isn't just the fact that you actually have silver or gold. It's that silver and gold represents earthly stuff. But this morning, I'm not going to preach against having stuff. The Bible says that the problem with stuff isn't the stuff. It's that the stuff can change our attitude. And we begin to not see the world. And even worse, we don't see ourselves as God sees us. In Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus tells a story about stuff. He tells, he tells a story about uh, a farmer who had a bumper crop. Kids, a bumper crop means he had, the, it was the best crop he ever got. So if he had corn or, or wheat, he, he, got, he got more than he'd ever got before. He had a bumper crop, and then the next year, he had another bumper crop. And he had so much stuff, and as Jesus tells the story, the farmer said to himself, what am I going to do? I, I, got so, I got so much crops, what am I going to do? And then the farmer said to himself, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and my silos, and I'm going to build bigger ones, and then I'm never going to work again. I'm going to say to myself, take your ease, rest, eat, drink, and be merry, because you got enough crops and enough money because of that for years and years to come. And then as Jesus tells the story... God the Father, the Heavenly Father, interrupts the story. And that night, he says to the farmer, you're a foolish man. Tonight, I'm going to come for your soul. That night, he died. And then God says to him, and then who's going to have all the stuff? Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. It's the last book in the New Testament. 
It's the, sometimes called the Revelation of John. It's really the Revelation of Jesus to John. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot in it that tells us uh, how Jesus is going to come back and what that means to us. But there's a part of it that I want you to see this morning that has to do with our attitude and how that gets changed because we have stuff, because we have a good job, because we got plenty of money, because we got all this stuff in our closets, in our garage, in our, in our toy box, and because we got plenty of stuff, we start to think, I don't need anybody. I, I, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I don't need anybody to guide me in life. I don't, I don't want anybody. And we, we start to not see ourselves very well. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 Parents, the Revelation is one of the only books in the Bible that's written to seven churches. Most letters in the New Testament are written to one church. Occasionally, Paul would say, hey, make sure this letter is read in the churches around you. But Revelation is written to seven different churches. One of them is called the Church of Laodicea. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, here's what God says to that church. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write these words. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and you're neither hot nor cold, I just want to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. You say, I've prospered. You say, I need nothing, not realizing that in reality you are wretched and pitiable, poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. This is a different kind of gold. This is not the gold that the world knows something about. This is something of eternal value, a gold refined by fire so that you may truly be rich and white garments is what you should also buy so that you may clothe yourself with the shame of your nakedness and may not be seen and you also need to buy salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see verse 19 says those whom i love i discipline so be zealous and repent and behold i stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. First, I want you to consider the indictment of spiritual self-delusion. Kids, the word indictment uh, is the the word that means you've been arrested, and uh, in court, they say what you were arrested for. That's what the word indictment means. And so, God has an indictment for us. We, we spiritually need to be arrested. We need to be stopped and we need to reconsider. And, and the thing that he tells us we're guilty of is that we don't see ourselves as we really are. It's, it's delusion. It's spiritual delusion. And there are three parts of the indictment. The first part, Jesus says, we're always saying, well, I'm rich. And, and it's a it's bigger phrase than that. It it's like saying, well, I'm not like poor people or stupid people. I, I got plenty, and I'm smart, and I get good grades at school, and my boss likes me, and I'm, I'm not like other people. I, I've got it together. That's what that phrase means. There's a second part of the indictment. It's not just I'm rich, but I have prospered. What this really means is I've worked hard, 
And I've made myself. I, I went back to college. I got my degree. I, I interviewed a whole bunch of people who wanted that job. And I got that job. And my boss says, I'm doing a good job. And it's all about, I worked hard and I've got this. And I earned my paycheck. And no one ever helped me. And then the last part of the indictment, Jesus says, one of the things that we say is, I need nothing. And if you don't need anything, then you don't need God. And so the idea that we live our lives and I, I, I don't need God and I don't need, I don't need my parents telling me what to do and I don't need my boss telling me what to do and I don't need anything and I, I'll make myself and I prosper myself and I've got all that I need is a spiritual delusion. It, it means that you don't really see yourself as you really are. You think you're something that you're not it's a pretty harsh indictment these are pretty these are pretty harsh words and we don't want to believe them about ourselves we're quick to go oh yeah well maybe that's my neighbor maybe that's my uncle ernie maybe that's maybe that's somebody else but it's not me and so we need something to help us take these words seriously for ourselves And I think the thing that helps us to take these words seriously is that we consider who is making the indictment. Uh, Many of you have a red-letter edition of the Bible. You will discover that these words are all in red. These are the words of Jesus. But we discover that there are four other names given to Jesus here in this passage. So, so let's look at them. They're in, they're in verse 14. In verse 14, it first of all says, these are the words of, the first other name for Jesus is, these are the words of the amen. Do you know what the word amen means? A lot of people just go, well, it's something people say in church, but I mean, there's an actual definition for the word. What does amen mean? It means, that's right. It actually means more than that. It means, it's so right, it's the conclusion of the matter. Some people have said it's like, it means, so be it. It's done. Uh, the next hour, we'll have, uh, we'll have our deaf folks in there. And uh, here's, the, here's the sign language. Here, kids, hold one hand out like this, flat, like this. Take the other hand and make a fist with your thumb up. And then hit your flat hand, like that. In sign language, that's amen. And it kinda, it's kind of like hitting something with a hammer, isn't it? It kind of means, that's the end of it. So, when, when a preacher's preaching... And people say, amen, they're saying, that's the conclusion of that matter. That is, that is right. That's, that's, hitting the, that's hitting the nail on the head. That's what amen means. And it's one of the names of God. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, there was this little saying in church, and it says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And it was kind of a cute phrase. And then one day I got to thinking about it, and I thought, that saying's not really right. The way it should go is, God says it, and that settles it whether you believe it or not. It's the amen. Well, uh, Jesus got two other names. They come together in the next phrase. It says he's the faithful and true witness. God is always faithful. God's never, ever been unfaithful to you. We've been unfaithful to him, haven't we? Nod your heads. Nod your heads. I won't preach it longer. 
we've been unfaithful to him. We've sinned. We've, we've been disobedient. We've chosen the wrong way. But God has never been unfaithful to us. And he's never been unfaithful to any of his promises. Did you know the Bible is full of promises that God made to you? And God has met every single promise. The second part of that is he's not only faithful, but he's the faithful and true witness. Do you know it's impossible for God to lie? It's not just that he doesn't lie. It's impossible for him to lie because he is truth. He is honesty. There's, a, there's an old phrase in the Bible. It sounds like Shakespearean poetry. It's there's no shadow of turning with God. What that means is he doesn't even tell a half-truth. Now, uh, your parents, kids, have told half-truths. Um, and they mostly told them to their parents. And uh, it goes like this, like, like that you have a curfew, and the curfew is 11 o'clock, and so the, the next morning the parent says to the child, were you in last night for curfew? And they say, yeah. And so what they did is they came in, and then they snuck back out the window. So they were in just for a moment at 11, and they pretend they're telling the truth. It's a half-truth. I was in at 11, but it's not the whole truth. God's never done that. God's always told the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So he's the amen, he's the faithful, he's the true. And then the last part of the description of who Jesus is, is that he's the ruler of God's creation. Parents here in the Bible, it says the beginning of God's creation. The Greek word can mean the beginning in time, or it can just mean preeminent. Well, it doesn't mean God God didn't like create himself first. He's not in the beginning of creation. It means he's in charge of it all. He's the ruler over all creation. Every now and then you meet somebody who says, well, God created the world, but then he just stepped back away from it to let it go as its own. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that he's the ruler of it. He's in charge of it. He intervenes in in our lives. So, Jesus, Almighty God, the Amen, the faithful, the true, the ruler of all creation, he's the one who's saying to us in Revelation 3, hey, you you don't see yourself very well. You are spiritually self-deluded because you've got stuff because you got something in the bank account, because you got a Visa card, you actually are thinking, I'm okay. I think I'm in good shape. I don't, I don't think I need God. I don't think I need religion. I don't think I need church. I don't think I need somebody telling me what to do. I'm, I'm good. How does God see my true spiritual condition? Well, there are four things that he brings to light in this passage. Let's talk about our true spiritual condition if we allow stuff to change the way we think about ourselves. Number one, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all creation, Jesus himself says, you've lost your passion, you're lukewarm. You see that part of the Bible that we read that says you're not cold and you're not hot, you're lukewarm. No, nobody likes any drink that's lukewarm. We like cold drinks. You know, you like, your, you like your Coke or your Pepsi to be over ice. You like cold drinks. We like hot drinks. We want our coffee to be hot. We want hot chocolate to be hot. But nobody really likes lukewarm drinks. Have you ever, have you ever thought you were going to get like Sprite 
and it was water, and it was just warm temperature, and you were like, that's, that's what he's talking about here. You, you're not hot. You're no, you know what the passage actually says? God actually says, I wish you were one or the other. Now, of course, he wants us to be hot with our passion for him, but he actually says, but I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. I want to talk to the parents just for a second. I, I think this is why many people that we are praying for, maybe even our one that we want to lead to the Lord, the reason they don't get saved is because your life that reflects Christ is just lukewarm. Do you remember when you first gave your life to Christ? Let's go back there. I think the journey's good for us. Do you remember that moment when you realized that if you gave your life to Christ, your sins would be forgiven? Do you remember that moment when you prayed and you asked for the forgiveness of sins and you realized your sins weren't going to be counted against you? When you realized you weren't going to hell but you were going to heaven? When you realized that, that God was going to remember your sins no more? When God the Father sees you perfect through the shed blood of His Son? Do you realize the joy? you remember that? Do you remember the passion of that moment? But many of us, We've been going to church for so long. We've heard so many Christmas sermons, and we've done so much in church life. The pastor can't even, he can't even turn in the Bible to some passage that you haven't read before or heard before, and we start just going through the motions. Not hot, not cold, just lukewarm religiosity. And Luke, or uh, Revelation chapter 3 says, God doesn't like that. It doesn't, doesn't represent him well. It's passionless. And he says, many of us, that's our spiritual condition. There's a second thing he says in here. Not only have we lost our passion, but he says, you've lost your provision. You see, if you're poor, and, and, and here's that phrase again. I want you to see it. He says in verse 17, you say I'm rich, you say I've prospered, you say I need nothing. You're not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The, the idea of losing your provision when you're poor, when you're impoverished, you can't provide for yourself. You, you don't have the ability to provide food. Maybe you don't have the ability to provide housing. If your hot water uh, heater goes out, if you don't have anything in your bank account, then you, you can't provide that for your house. And so you have no provision. And of course, he's not talking about earthly provision. He's not talking about earthly stuff. That's actually what he's been condemning is that we have so much stuff. He's talking about the fact that you have no spiritual provision in your life. Spiritual provision comes from the fact that you spend time with God. You read his word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time with other believers talking about his word, praying together, serving others together, finding a way to share your faith. It becomes the part of your life. It becomes the flow of your life. And when that flows through your life, the scripture says God will richly bless you. He is the one who actually provides for you when you are spiritually alive, when you are rich. The Bible says he'll provide for you through all of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's what he means when he says, buy from me gold that's refined. There's, there are real riches in the world, but the, it's not earthly riches. They don't count. Earthly riches don't get you to heaven. It's not the one with the most money that gets to heaven. No, often 
the one with the most money can't get there, Jesus would say about the one who's got the most money, the most stuff, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because our stuff changes what we see about ourselves. There's a third part of how Jesus describes our spiritual condition. He says, first, you've lost your passion. Second, you've lost your provision. But third, he says, you've lost your perspective. You're blind. Jesus would be talking about the Pharisees one time, and he says, you're blind, and you're trying to be guides. How can you, how can you guide someone else when you are blind? If the blind guides the blind, they both fall in the ditch. And so you not only don't see yourself as God sees you, but you don't see anything in this world as God sees it. You're spiritually blind. The Bible uses words to say spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, and hard-hearted. And we don't, want, we don't want what God has to say. And then there's a last part of this. The last part of this says you've lost your protection. And, and what it's talking about is, he says here a couple times in this passage, because you're naked. Now, uh, this phrase isn't about uh, uh, nakedness like pornography or sexual nakedness. This is like you're so poor, you don't have any clothes. And if you don't have any clothes in Montana in the winter, you've lost your protection. You've you got to have something that guards you from the wind and the rain and the snow and the ice. And there's going to be a time before this winter's over that if you go outside without a hat and gloves and a coat, you, don't, you aren't protected. You could freeze to death. This is what he's talking about. There's no spiritual protection in our lives. Because, listen, spiritually, you can't protect you. You know what the Bible says? The Bible tells us why we need protection. Because Satan stalks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I know like all the kids in this room have seen some kind of National Geographic show about lions. And lions are out there to eat their prey. And the Bible uses this this illustration to say, that's what Satan's like. He's out there and he wants to eat somebody up. He wants to tear you up. You need God's protection. Well, when you read this passage... And, and it's a harsh indictment, the things that we're guilty of, you might come to the conclusion, well, man, God really doesn't like me. He tells me I'm not hot or cold. He wants to spit me out of his mouth. He tells me I don't have any passion. He tells me I don't have any provision. He tells me I'm blind. I can't see what I'm doing. God doesn't like me. No, oh, this is the place where people mess up. The Bible says God is sad about your condition But what does this passage say about how God actually sees you? You see, God sees you different than your condition. Look with me in verse 19. It says, those whom I... What does it say? Say it out loud. Say it louder. Those whom I love... I reprove and discipline. So when we ask the question, how does God see me? The answer is, He loves you. You see, you see God, didn't, 
God didn't have to give this indictment to us in Revelation chapter 3. He could have waited till the end of time on the last judgment day. And then when I got there, he could have said, Paul, you are pitiful and poor and wretched. You are blind. You think you're rich. You missed all of life. He could have waited to the very end and say, you wasted your whole life, Paul. But he didn't do that because he loves us. And so he gives it to us now. So that instead of going the wrong way, I can choose the right way. Because when our parents love us, they discipline us. And if that's true of our earthly parents, then it's true of our heavenly parent as well. Our heavenly father, whom he loves, he disciplines But there's also verse 20. We're answering the question, well, how does God see me? First of all, he loves me. But I also want you to see verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I want to come into him, and I want to eat with him, and I want to hang out with him. God not only loves you, but he likes you. Have you ever thought about that before? See, a lot of times when I say God loves you, the people who are sitting in the congregation, they kind of go, well, he's God. He has to love me. The idea is that he's God, and since he's perfect and he's wonderful, of course he loves us, but he has to love us. But when I say that God likes you, what causes people to rethink that a little bit? You see, God created you. And he created you wonderfully. The scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God did it. And he liked what he did. So he loves us so much he sends his one and only son to us. But he also wants to connect with you. He wants us to open the door so that he can come in to our house and hang out with us. Now it's the door to your heart. It's the door to your soul. And the scripture says that Jesus is standing outside your house. Knocking. And he wants wants to come in. Now when you knock and knock and knock and knock, as Jesus has been doing on the door of your parents' heart for long before you were born, kids. When you're at somebody's house and you're knocking and they don't come to the door, but you know they're in there, what do you do next? Well, look at the verse. He says, uh, if anyone, I'm standing at the door and I knock, if anyone, what does it say? If anyone hears my voice. So what comes next is you go, hey, I know you're in there. Hey, come to the door. Now, I don't want this to seem creepy, but I think there's even a next step where Jesus looks through the window and he's like, hey, come around to the door. Because why? Because he wants to come into your life. He wants to be your friend. The Bible says a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He wants to connect with you. He wants to hang out with you. 
This was written 2,000 years ago. So all John really had was, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Today I want to say to you, he's texting you. He's sending you emojis with like heart eyes. It's like, I love you. I want to forgive you of your sin. I want you to get past the false delusion that your stuff has created. I want you to have real spiritual meaning in your life. And that's why Jesus came. Some of you are like, this isn't really a Christmas sermon. Yeah, it is. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Father sent the Son, born of a virgin, laid in a manger, in a stable, to live a perfect life, and go to the cross and die for our sins so that He could come into our lives. So that we could have meaning that would last not just for a short time like a toy that breaks, so that we could have meaning that would last for all eternity. That's why God tells you, hey, don't live your life like that, because he loves you. And now he's knocking at your door. What will you do about that? I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Some of you are here this morning, and maybe for the first time the gospel made sense to you. Maybe for the first time this morning you thought, oh, that's what the Christmas story really is. And I I don't see myself well. And I need to see myself the way God sees me. And this morning, you'd like to give your life to Christ. You could pray a simple prayer right there in the stillness of your own heart. It goes something like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And if you pray that prayer and you mean it with all your heart, the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Some of you here have done that. Some of you did it years and years ago. But over the time, you lost your passion. You're not hot anymore for Christ. Lukewarm on your best day, cold on other days. And it's time that you turn that back around. How do you do that? Well, just open the door to Jesus. Open the door of your heart. Set aside your hurt, your offense, your pain. And say yes to Jesus. And whoever does that, he will come in and hang with you, eat with you, commune with you, live with you. He'll be your God. You'll belong to him. You'll have everlasting life. Father, you know every heart here. You know every journey that brought us to this very place this morning. And so we pray this morning that by your grace and by your mercy. But there are some here today that gave their lives to you, maybe for the very first time with understanding. For others in this room, I pray that this is a day when we open the door again. Invite Jesus back in in, a, in an act of rededication and commitment. And Father, maybe just because we spent these few moments here, that Christmas will have the meaning that you want it to have. Father, do this work in our lives. And if you'll do this for us, we promise to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Do it this way, kids. Amen.
for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.